Welcome back to the Black and Real Life podcast. It's your girl, Anuli, here with a new episode. If you're listening to this episode on launch day, then I'm especially excited to introduce you to this episode's featured guest. L'Oreal Thompson Payton is the author of the book, Stop Waiting for Perfect, and a health and wellness reporter at Fortune. Her words have also appeared in outlets such as Bitch, Bustle, Self, Shondaland, and Well and Good, among others. Originally from Maryland, L'Oreal lives just outside of Chicago with her very patient husband and daughter whose laugh lights up her world. L'Oreal's first book, Stop Waiting for Perfect, finally goes on sale today, August 15th, 2023. From the outside looking in, moments like this can seem like an overnight success thing, but having known L'Oreal for officially a decade now, I can say with confidence that this day has been a very long time coming. L'Oreal has wanted two things since I first met her in 2013, a baby and a book. It's 2023 and she now has both. In this season's final episode, I talked to L'Oreal about what life is like after you get the things you've always wanted. Spoiler, it's still not perfect. I hope you enjoy this episode. The Black and Real Life podcast will be on hiatus after this while I focus on my doctoral dissertation. But don't fret, friends. You have three seasons of episodes to replay to your heart's content. As always, at the end of each interview, I will come back to share a few key takeaways that stood out to me from the conversation. These takeaways will be supplemented with research from both academic and non-academic sources to add further context to the subjects that were brought up in the interview portion. For every episode, I will include citations to the reference materials I mentioned, as well as some additional background reading for you on the Black and Real Life website. Visit www.blkirl.com to nerd out. Hi, L'Oreal. Hi, Nilly. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining me today on the Black and Real Life podcast. I'm so excited. I haven't been this excited for a podcast interview in a very long time. No shade to other podcasters. <laughs> Ooh, I mean, I'm honored, but also like other podcasters haven't known you for a decade. I still can't believe it's been a decade because it literally feels at times like yesterday. So I just, I mean, time is a social construct, but also like, where did it go? That part, because <laughs> I was thinking about it as I was like planning to like talk to you and it's like, we met in 2013. Yeah. It's 2023. I know. <laughs> like, it's weird. Wow. And I think people should like hear how we met because it, it speaks to black and real life perfectly that we met first online on mm -hmm. Twitter. Yep. And then we met in person when I moved to Chicago in 2020. 
I mean, 2013. So it's like that online friend actually became your like in-person, like physical world yeah. friend. And I love Which that I place. love. I do too. And it was great because I mean, we're both hometown, like Maryland girls at heart who moved to Chicago, this big city, met on Twitter. You invited me to a real life community of women here in Chicago and introduced me to a whole other host of people after that as well. And it was just like the gift that keeps on giving and to maintain that go from, you know, on Twitter and to real life and maintain that for so long, I feel like is really special. Yes. Like, you know, like how women say like uh, they had a group chat, like for everyone, like L'Oreal's in my group chat. Like it was, it's been like me, L'Oreal, and Chastity in this accountability club that we started years ago. Yeah, the mastermind crew. The mastermind <laughs> crew. Like since, like yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So I, I love that. And since I've known you, and this is what I really wanted to talk to you about specifically for this season. But since I've known you, there are two things you've always wanted. You wanted a book. And you mm-hmm. wanted a baby. Like you've been working at at that for like the most of like our relationship. And now you officially have both of those things. They're here. <laughs> they are here. Yeah. And I'd like to talk about that journey today with you because you've also been very transparent in your write-ins and like other like public conversations about your journey. But mm-hmm. there's this part of the journey, right? Because a lot of us have dreams and goals, but we don't always talk about what happens when we achieve them. Mm-hmm. Like we think like achieving the book, the baby is like, okay, life is perfect now. <laughs> and, you know, tell us how is life? Life you have? is lifing like super, not hard in the sense that things are hard. Sometimes it's not easy, but like life be lifing. And it's interesting because I've always been an overachiever and this isn't a humble brag, but I have. I don't know a goal that I've set that I haven't met. That's just like, not who, that's my DNA is the overachiever. I, I say what I want to do and I do it and I've done it. It's not always easy. It's not always linear. It's not always perfect, um, but it eventually happens. And what's interesting now is that these two things that you've mentioned, having a book, having a baby have happened and they happened at the same damn time. And like, to your point, I was working on some iteration of a book. It wasn't necessarily this book, but some version of a self-help book for millennials since 2015. I remember distinctly, I was in the bathroom when I was working at Chicago Public Schools as a communication strategist. And I was in this, um, kind of state of flux, right? I had just left my full-time journalism job at JET. I wanted to actually get into nonprofits, specifically nonprofits for women and girls. But in the meantime, in between time, I was like, let me get this communications experience. Ended up at CPS. That's a whole nother story. (laughs) But during one of those breaks, you know, how we all sometimes go into the bathroom and just mindlessly scroll social media and just kind of like, um, take ourselves out of our reality for a brief moment. I had this idea, this voice that I feel like can only be described as the voice of God. That was like the millennial manual, how to achieve your best life or something. I forget what the working subhead was, but I had the idea. I went back to my desk, opened this Google doc, put down a bunch of notes 
And that was the first and last time I ever touched it. <laughs> it was like October. Um, or no, that was the summer of 2015. I revisited it in 2015, like in the fall, um, but then just kind of like sat on it. And then I had the idea for Trust Your Dopeness in 2017, wrote the proposal, started querying agents, got rejected by a lot of agents. Like I remember one in particular who told me to come back when I have 20,000 social media followers. I remember that. I was hurt. And you know what? I really want this book to blow up so I can like be petty (laughs) and show her like, Hey, not only did I do it without you, I did it without 20,000 followers and it's still this like huge success. So that's my petty Scorpio side coming out. Everybody pre-ordered a book. Stop reading for perfect. Yes. Um, So yeah, it was like since 2015 working on the book, different iterations of it lots of rejections, multiple literary agents, um, parted ways with one like it's, it's this story. It's a long journey. There's a lot of ups and downs. It's not overnight. You can easily look online now and be like, Oh, well, she has the book. Everything like must've worked out. It took a lot to get there. And at the same time, starting around 2018, 2019, like husband and I got married in 2014. I said, okay, when I turn 30, we'll start trying. And as I got closer to 30, I started to panic because I realized that for me, it meant my career was going to shift or pause and like change in some kind of way. Not so much for him because I'm like, you're a guy, it's fine. Like you can, you know, just go about your business. That's not the case for me. So I had real goals that I wanted to achieve before then, because I knew that having a baby was going to alter my career. I wanted to be at a director level so that I would make more money so that when I was out on maternity leave, because the company I was working for at the time didn't provide full paid parental leave. So I was like, I need to make more money so that I have more money coming in when I'm not working. And it was a whole thing. And then as it turns out, once we did start trying in earnest that I had some infertility because of a surgery that I had to remove fibroids years ago, like back in 2017, um, the scar tissue from that blocked the fallopian tubes. And it just became a whole thing. We underwent IVF multiple cycles to get to our beautiful, lovely daughter today, but it was, it was a journey. And in true, like L'Oreal fashion, everything happened at the same time. Um, February, 2021 found out we were pregnant after the fifth IVF cycle. And in May, 2021 is when I signed my book deal. So (laughs) it's like when it rains, it pours. And then all of a sudden I was like, shit, I got to write this book, which was fine while I was still pregnant because I could still like be, I was in control of my own schedule. Um, But then once baby came, it was like, what do I what do I do now? How do I do this? And interestingly enough, I feel like the baby is easier than the book because there's help for the baby. At the time when she was born, we were living with my in-laws. I was on leave. Jeff was on leave. Um, and then once she got older and went to daycare, there was the childcare part of it. But I still had to write this book by myself. <laughs> like it right. came down that's to, all that's all me at the end of the day. And so that when people ask, well, how did you do it? Um, and like, what was it like? Which one was harder? Hands down, the book was harder because I couldn't like, I had my editor amazing, my agent amazing, but I'm still the one who had to put the words on paper. Do you ever feel like, I, I know that sometimes people feel bad that when they get what they want, they can't complain about it because, well, you have what you want. Like, can't, like how do you Girl. negotiate those feelings within yourself? I felt, especially in the newborn phase, because for me, at least, 
it sucked and no one talked about how much it sucked. And I felt I especially couldn't talk about how much it sucked because I had talked very publicly about how much I wanted this. Mm -hmm. And part of why I wanted to share our story from the beginning, because we didn't know how it was going to turn out. We didn't know that we were going to have the happily ever after and have the baby. And I could have very easily not said anything, not mentioned the infertility, not mention the IVF and just come up with the pregnancy announcement on Instagram be like, hey, guess what? But that's not true to me. That's not why I got into the business of storytelling in the first place. And I remember asking Jeff one evening, like, I think I want to write about this because up until then, everything's been about like me and it's just my experiences, but this involved him. And I was like, how would you feel if I shared this fertility journey as it's unfolding. And he was kind of like, I think you have to. And not in the sense that any of us owe anyone our stories and everything like that, but he was just like, you have a gift and a responsibility, essentially. Like there are these people, there are other black women who are looking Mm -hmm. to you because that was the biggest thing. I was just like, where are all the black women, (laughs) you know, at the fertility Mm -hmm. clinic, at the, you know, seeing little babies, all the success stories. And I was just looking around like, where, where are we? Like, it's already this very isolating thing to go through. And then to look around and be the only one who looks like you in the room, just amplified it even more. And I also wanted to share the messy middle because we can, because social media is perfect, right? Like everything is perfect. And you look at, you know, a line and other people and see the highlight reel. And I wanted to share the behind the scenes because it's like, I don't know how this is going to work out. And I want to take you all with me. And in doing that, I felt a lot of pressure on myself and didn't even announce our pregnancy for a long time because I, well, A, I was anxious. (laughs) Um, Just a lot of like, PTSD from infertility. And it's a weird space to be in that um, pregnant after multiple rounds of IVF, because now all of a sudden I feel like I can't sit with the fertility community because I've like made it out essentially. And at the same time, like, well, the baby's not here, so I can't like sit with the moms. And it's kind of this, um, this awkward space. And after she was born and I struggled even with perinatal depression and then postpartum depression, and felt guilty that I was unhappy, that I was struggling and I was having a really hard time because I should be grateful because I've, you know, been through all of this and she's here and she's healthy. And especially with the black maternal mortality crisis, this country is facing, like we definitely, um, you know, we were lucky and we came out of it. Well, And I think it was a New York Times article with something else that I read, but that talked about that very issue about especially infertility patients feeling this um, this grief and guilt and like all of these things because we should (laughs) be grateful and we should be so ecstatic about every moment. But that's just not real life. Um, Dr. Chelsea Jackson Roberts on Peloton, favorite yoga instructor, speaks very eloquently about the both and that two things can be true. I can be very grateful for this experience and for my daughter. And I can also be struggling and be honest about having a hard time that one does not diminish the other. And when I kind of made peace with that, and also you don't have to be grateful for every moment, right? You're still human. Motherhood's a wonderful thing. And it's also really hard. There are really hard moments. There are a lot of tears and 
having those moments doesn't make you a bad mom. And I think that's something I also struggled with because I spent my whole life trying to be the perfect daughter, sister, wife, mother, sis, like, or I said sister already. I love my sister. <laughs> um, right. You're just like all of these things. So of course I want to be a perfect mom and be grateful and just be like, you know, the Instagram moms smiling all the time. And that's just not real life. And so I didn't want to perpetuate that myth and what I was sharing. Um, and hopefully inspire others to give themselves permission to experience that full range of humanity and all of the emotions that come with it. What One thing I admire about you and your husband Jeff's relationship is just like, we've been, we haven't actually really talked about this, but it's just like an observation. So like when we first came on to chat today, I, I, I noticed your background. I'm like, oh, you know, you're your home is really nice. You're like, oh, that's mm -hmm. all Jeff. And I know Jeff mm -hmm. does a lot of the cooking. So like you yes. have this dynamic in which it, it kind of, it's different than the traditional gender norms. Like you all have your roles, you both have your roles, but those roles are not like, you know, that cookie cutter gender norm relationship. Can you also talk about how that informs like even your approach to motherhood? Oh, definitely. I was texting one of my friends, um, not even a mom friend. We go back to college and both happen to be moms now at this phase of life and telling her that I was going with my sister, April, to Vegas. We we're restarting our um, sister trips after a hiatus with the pandemic and everything. We went to go see Usher and she was like, oh, you're one lucky mama. And I'm like, I don't really think luck has anything to do with it. And I know that might sound a little bit brash, but it's very intentional. Um, you Sharia, chose your partner. I chose, listen, okay. Like, <laughs> and from the get-go, I mean, I look at my dad growing up and he was the one coming to my cheerleading competitions and my dance recitals and everything like that. He had a more flexible schedule. My mom had a more corporate one. And so he was doing laundry. He was cooking dinner. I saw that model and I was like, this makes sense to me. At the time, I didn't realize that it was like feminist or whatever. That was just my home life. And so naturally, I looked for that in a partner. And I remember when I was talking to um, former Essence editor, she's also an author and uh, life coach, Sharia Jackson. And in her book, Boss Bride, she had mentioned the most important business decision you can make is who your romantic partner is. Mm. And I took that, to, I think Jeff and I already started dating or me might've even been married by then, but even all before that, before I heard her say it, I was living it and it made sense to me. Like I need someone who is supportive of me, my dreams, my hopes, my aspirations, my ambition, and isn't threatened by it. Mm -hmm. I went on a group date. It was interesting way back when um, one of my high school friends had a family friend who was a soldier and he was at Afghanistan and he came back and we went out on, it was like her and her boyfriend. And we went out like this little double date situation. And this guy is like, Six six, very like looks like a GI Joe shoulder soldier Strapping soldier. Yes, very handsome. Like, and he told me five six black woman me. He was white, by the way. That's important to note. I feel like that I was intimidating. Oh, and I love that word. I completely was like, no, you're intimidated by me. I'm not intimidating. And it's like, no, the issue, the problem lies with you, sir. I'm there's if you're intimidated by that, that's a you problem. 
not a me problem. And Jeff has never been intimidated. He's been nothing but supportive. Even last night, I'm like panicking and stressing about this book tour and just like a lot of anxiety because, you know, it's my first one and I don't know what to expect. And I see other authors getting, you know, these deals and um, having the events and everything like that. And he's like, it's going to be okay. Like this is for, he's, he's like, <laughs> I've told our couples therapist too. I'm like, he is a, the human version of an anxiety, like a weighted blanket. Like that's mm-hmm. who he is for me. And that comfort, that safety, where at the end of the day, I can come home and be myself in a pair of sweatpants with my hair looking a hot mess. And he still loves me and he like appreciates me. And we are partners in this. Like we, it's team Peyton all the way. <laughs> and that's why I don't attribute it to luck. It was intentional because mm-hmm. why should I settle? Period. you've written several articles about being a working mother as a health and wellness reporter at fortune Mm -hmm. and i promise i'm not only going to ask you about motherhood this is just where we're starting but how much of your writing is inspired by your own lived experiences and how are those more personal pieces generally received all of it is inspired by personal like i was even thinking earlier today, I was just like, I feel like my unofficial beat is women work in wellness and how they all intertwine. Because I remember when I was in the nonprofit space and the CEO I was working for told me there's no such thing as work-life balance. It's just life. And that was even before the pandemic. And I feel like that's even truer now. And so it's all relevant. It's all inspirational. It all matters to me. And so therefore I believe it matters to others. And there's just not enough they're starting to be, and we're definitely talking about uh, women in the workplace more and what that leadership looks like and what it looks like now for working moms, which I'm struggling to find a better phrase for because like it's all work, right? Even yes, if you're yes. a stay-at-home mom, but I don't know, like those are our easy go-tos that I have. And so if anyone listening has any suggested language around that, I'm definitely all ears. Um, but it's like this week, I even think about, I felt guilty for leaving Jeff and the baby again because I was just in Vegas and because of that guilt, I wanted to come. Well, I even planned before doing Vegas that I was going to leave the conference a little bit early so I could get home for her when she would get up Thursday morning, I would be there. That was important to me, but I also felt guilty for leaving the conference early and leaving like my coworkers to pick up the slack. And it was just like this guilt on both ends. Cause I feel like I'm not doing either of my jobs well or at a hundred percent. And it's uh, and I've gotten so many supportive comments from friends, from other moms, for people just saying like, girl, that you are enough. <laughs> You're showing up in both of those spaces and you don't have to strive for perfection. Like that's not possible. And I just, those personal stories for me are my favorite ones to write because they're, it's just, it's why I write, right? Like mm-hmm. the whole point is to help women and girls, particularly black women and girls feel less alone. So that was true when I was, you know, reading my teen magazines back in the day in middle school and aspired to be editor in chief of a teen magazine. And it's true now as a 35 year old mom and journalist and soon to be author that this, this goal of mine and my writing, first of all, is selfish. It's cathartic for me. (laughs) Um, Mm. It helps me process and helps me make sense of what I'm going through and it provides connection to other people who are also going through it, but might feel lonely because we're not openly talking about what it looks like to struggle with anxiety and depression as a working mom, because we don't want to be seen as 
less than capable by our peers and our bosses and everyone else. So it's just kind of like naming it to tame it mm-hmm. and also to rid it of the stigma and the shame that comes along with it as well. You know, what's also fascinating is like being a health and wellness writer, I wonder then, do you ever feel pressure to perfectly practice or embody wellness because your job is to write about it? Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm not getting it right. This month, I joke with my friends that I girl bossed a little close to the sun, too close mm-hmm. to the sun, and just took on way too much. Had six speaking engagements, two trips that I mentioned, um, freelance assignments, podcast interviews. I know we rescheduled. I rescheduled this one because I was just like, hey, this week is really hectic. Do you mind if we push it back? And I spent some time journaling last night and writing in my therapy notebook what I learned from this experience and how I can course correct for the next month. But also I feel like it was good practice for what this book tour might shape out to be like, cause there will be travel. There will be the interviews. There will be a lot of things demanding my time and energy. So how am I going to allocate that and also make time for myself in the process to make sure that I don't burn out. And it's funny because I remember when I was freelancing for shine back in the day before they were, um, I forget who they got acquired by. I don't know if it was uh, headspace or somewhere else, but anyway. Um, and I was like, I had taken a break because I didn't want to burn out as a wellness writer. Cause that's a bad look. Right. <laughs> um, but what I found is that those old habits are starting to, it can't, it goes in waves. Like I will be really good mm-hmm. for a while. Then life happens. Like I fell off my uh, Peloton street right after Violet was born and, I'm proud of myself because I haven't hold myself to that same unhealthy standard of I have to do something. I have to work out every day. I have to get that blue dot, that coveted blue dot. Like I've made peace with losing the streak. Um, But also because this month was just super hectic, I fell off completely (laughs) because it's not just about like the physical part of exercise, which I enjoy as well, like moving my body, but also that movement as medicine, it also impacts my mental health, the weather, not today, but it's getting better in Chicago. And so I can walk to daycare and walk when I'm, you know, coming and just get outside more and move my body more um, because that's important to me. And so I need to prioritize that and not let all of these other demands like fill up my calendar. I have to make sure that I put my time and myself on there first and then fill everything out without filling it all up. Like Jeff will joke with me like, oh, you're allergic to white space in regards to my calendar. And I'm trying to do better at building in more of that white space and protecting it with everything. Well, let's talk about your first book, Stop Waiting for Perfect. And the book will be published on August 15th, 2023. Can you talk to us about the title without giving too much away? I'm curious, what does it mean to stop waiting for perfection? It's about not waiting for the perfect moment to launch the podcast, to write the book, to start the blog, whatever, to change careers even, right? Like there are so many things. And I didn't realize until late last year that my particular brand of procrastination is actually rooted in perfectionism, (laughs) right? I tell myself like, oh, well, you know, I'll just, I'll wait until um, I have like the right latte and the 
coffee shop and the soundtrack. And if you like wait for those moments, instead of creating the opportunity, you'll be waiting forever because especially now, like I said earlier, life be life. And I don't have the luxury of going to the coffee shop all the time to write. So I got to get in where I fit in, which sometimes meant like nursing Violet in one hand and writing Mm -hmm. out a chapter with my thumb in the notes app in the other hand at two, 3 a.m. And so But also if I had waited for that perfect moment, I wouldn't have written a book. And even in the first draft, I got very um, anxious. I let the perfectionism get the best of me and shout out to my editor because I had to push back the deadline a few times because I was trying to write a perfect first draft, which those words don't go together. It just doesn't make sense. I was trying to do my job and her job at the same time and hers as the editor and making it sound better and taking it to the next level. When it was like, no, my job is to just show up and put words on a page. Good words, but they don't have to be perfect words. We can always go back and edit, but you can't edit nothing. And this whole, the process of writing the book, and we were joking earlier because I was talking to her this morning um, with my editors, just like I was living the book as I was writing it, which was not intentional, <laughs> but so much. It was kind of uh, meta in that way that it was truly a masterclass and letting go of perfection, um, even from the title change, because originally it was Trust Your Dopeness. And we learned that that was copyrighted by a major corporate conglomerate and I don't have major corporate conglomerate lawsuit money. So we (laughs) ended up changing it and was trying to come up with this perfect title, but I had just written a newsletter about how you have to stop waiting for perfect and just launch, just do the damn thing. Or as my mom says, shit or get off the pot. And my agent and my editor looked at each other while I was going on some kind of rant like I am now. And they were like, I think I think that might be it. And it's really resonated with people, which I'm excited about. I think in a way that trust your dopeness didn't really like capture exactly. It's cute. It's trendy. It makes for a nice like Instagram caption or something, but stop waiting for perfect is like so many of us can relate because so many of us are doing it. (laughs) And this is giving permission to stop doing that and to trust yourself, your talent, your gifts and put yourself in there, out there, it's scary and it's necessary. And you do yourself a disservice by like keeping all of your genius to yourself. I had an old therapist like years ago. And one thing she said that like, it changed my life. I didn't always act on this, but it changed the way I thought about things. And she was saying how you're a hundred percent is different than someone else's a hundred percent. Right. Like you can give 70 and that's probably someone else's hundred percent. Cause we don't always have like the same bar. So I've always been encouraged to like do my best, but like my best and someone else's best, like not, and not, not enough the same. Yeah. It's not the same, <laughs> but it's just a permit. It's like that permission to like take it easy on myself because mm-hmm. not everything needs like the full effort that I can give. Yeah. And you give so much because, I mean, to your point, you're the one who inspired me to start a newsletter. You're the one who inspired me to put out a podcast. And I talked in my first episode, it was just like, I've been thinking about this for years. I bought the mic back in 2020. I took all the courses and the fellowships and learned the editing and everything like that, but was so hesitant because what if it's not good enough? What if it's not perfect? What if, what if, what if? And seeing you, dope-ass Black woman, doing it on your own terms and being your own production company and just being an all-around badass, I was like, okay, it doesn't have to be perfect. I just have to do it. 
Mm. And then I can iterate and then I can make it better and then I can tweak it and everything. But like said with the book too, you can't edit nothing and you can't get feedback on something that doesn't exist. So you have to put yourself out there and your courage in doing that inspired me to do the same. So thank Thank you. you. (laughs) Well, I should actually actually thank little sis, my little sister, because she's the one in 2020 that was like, if you don't just get this, because I almost didn't release Black in Real Life because I was like, well, I need funding. I need money. I need all these things to make mm-hmm. it happen. And I had applied for podcast programs and grants and got, I had like I five rejections in one week. It was a yeah. tough week. And little sis who was running and Gen Z, her on the couch next to me when I was watching, I thought we were watching paternity court together. No, she was <laughs> starting a media empire. Starting a whole empire. Right. <laughs> she was like, just do it. Just do it on your own. So, you know, I think it's great to have those people in our lives that can encourage us just through action. If I was that person for you and Ziki was that person, my little sister's name Ziki, if she's that person for me, it's like beautiful how that can, like that pattern and that trend that we can inspire others just by being ourselves and doing our own things. Absolutely. I mean, for the record too, Ziki inspires the hell out of me as well. I can't wait for her to run for president and or right. start her own media empire. So I'm, I, because I just know I'm going to be working for her at some point. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be great. Us both, honestly. Can you tell me when you first realized that you are a writer, right? Because you always wrote, but when did yeah. you have the confidence to be like, I am a writer? So it's funny. And I've been reflecting on this a lot with the book. And actually I included a picture of me and my little sister, April on the sofa when we were little, I was about three. And so she's maybe six months or so. And we're sitting on the sofa. She's propped up in the corner and I have this spiral bound notebook in my lap and a pen in my hand. Hey, Nancy Drew. I know, right? <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I thought I was interviewing her or what I was, because I was always writing. I was always reading and I was always writing. I had these notebooks and I was writing in cursive in quotation marks. It was like just little scraggly kid handwriting. But that's like my earliest memory. And then when I was six, I wrote and illustrated this book. This was my real first book, mm. um, Dinosaurs in Outer Space. It was in the okay. summer and my, I had like my homework paper at my grandparents' house, but it was a summer, so I didn't have any homework. So I was writing stories. And when my dad came to pick us up that day after work, he was like, well, and I told him, I was like, daddy, daddy, look, I wrote this book. And he's like, well, if you wrote it, then you read it. So you should add it to your summer reading challenge that we have, you know, Ooh. shout out to Baltimore County <laughs> Public Library Reading Challenge. And I panicked a little because I was like, well, daddy, it's not a real book. Like I'm not a real author. Cause even at six, like, I guess I had this idea of what was real and what was not, what was legitimate and what was not. And I didn't think that my little book on the uh, wide rule paper with the little staple in it was legit, but his reasoning made sense to me. If I wrote it, then I read it. And so I wrote it on the list with all the other books at the end of summer, I turned in my list to the librarian. I thought for sure she was going to call me out and be like, <laughs> the name on this book or uh yeah the like list matches the library card she didn't and so I got my little free t-shirt and I was like maybe maybe this is something I like writing this is fun I can do it um and it's just been since then like I had been writing since I was three since I was six and in different iterations I think when I got to high school and I was editor-in-chief of my student newspaper and I would write these columns about 
body image and self-defense and these other stories that are similar to the ones I'm writing now, but for my classmates, and it got really positive response, except for the one that I wrote about J-Lo and like the Super Bowl, because um, not J-Lo and the Super Bowl, the Janet Jackson Super Bowl um, also (laughs) uh, story. I think I said them like J-Lo and like Big Butt or whatever, like her and Beyonce and something like that, like inspired me as, you know, this awkward black girl in the early 2000s. But I got in trouble with the Dean because I said Big Butt. But anyway, Um, and then with the Super Bowl, I was like, it's just a boob. We need to get over it. Did not go over well with the nuns. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to an all girl. This is before school. body positivity. Exactly. Too. Yeah. Um, so since then, like, I, I don't know anything else. Like, this is what I love. This is what I was born to do. This is my purpose and my mission in life. And I love it. And I, so I feel lucky and very fortunate that I get to do it and make a living out of it. It's always so fascinating to reflect on childhood and see how the things that we did back then are like the same things that we do when we feel like ourselves, like mm-hmm. tapping into like who you were back then. Yeah. I don't know why I have this like visual of you of like, there's this movie um, with um, Reese Witherspoon and she's in election, like that like type A character in the movie election. And she, like you said, she's going to do what she needs to do. Everything mm-hmm. that she wants gets it done. But how... And I I guess I'm asking this because I feel like when I talk to you, it's like talking into a mirror. We're very similar. Yes. (laughs) We try to just like hard work our way out of any paper bag or just any, anything. Mm -hmm. I guess for, for you, like, how do you, how have you learned to stop that? Like, I know you're writing the book, stop waiting for perfect, but on a day-to-day basis, like, how do you kind of stop yourself from trying to control everything? Listen, Parenting has been a very humbling journey. And I said, there's two things that kind of broke my perfection. One was becoming a mom and two was writing this book. And I think also after I lost that Peloton streak, right? It was like a day we were taking Violet to doctor's appointments and just like kind of going about like, because I was very serious about this streak, y'all. Like Mm -hmm. I did one of the meditations on the way to the hospital at like 3.30 in the morning. Girl. The morning of our C-section, I did the walks in the hospital in my gown, in my slippers. Like I was committed. And then one day I just, I didn't, I forgot life was lifing and Mm. it just like escaped my mind and I cried. I'm not proud of it, but there were definitely tears. And I was like, girl, why are you crying over a street and a workout app? Like it ain't that deep. And I think once that happened, I was kind of like, okay, well, this is it. This is life. And it does. I'm still the same me, right? Like mm. not like losing that streak didn't make me any less than didn't make me any less worthy. It didn't take. And I think that's what I thought very naively that like, I can, like you said, work my way out <laughs> of different things I can and literally work out to um, escape like all of the things and just kind of mm. like tunnel vision and convince myself that I was like this good moral person who's like better than others because I managed to maintain the streak and care for a newborn and do this book and all these things. And, um, life was like, ha ha ha, we got something for your ass. And so I think that was very critical. 
And then there's just no such thing as perfection with parenting because these are tiny humans with their own thoughts and ideas and personalities. And I learned very quickly because I'm always someone who's been very punctual, right? Like my dad instilled in me and my sister to be early is to be on time, to be on time is to be late and to be late is unacceptable. The whole twice as hard to get half as much that black people have had to do since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. And when your baby has a blowout on the way to brunch and you have to stop and change their outfit and like all the things that punctual, like it's a given now that it's like, listen, if y'all are expecting the whole family, all of us to show up somewhere, we're going to be about 15, 20 minutes late. It is what it is. And also I'm not buying into like the white supremacy of being punctual all the time. Like, cause there's, I mean, like a time and a space, but like, if we're late to the birthday party, it's going to be okay. No one's going to yes. die. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. So like just kind of giving myself permission to be flawed and what has helped also, I switched therapists um, toward the end of last year because I realized I just needed something new um something different in this season of life i think i had texted mm-hmm. you and chastity was like you when you how do you know when it's time to switch therapists like if you yeah. have to ask the question yeah that's your answer <laughs> and i knew that for myself and i intentionally sought out a black woman who had experience with infertility or like treating um clients who had gone through ivf and also postpartum depression and anxiety like all of these things that i was dealing with because i think i thought too like oh well she's a year now um, I should be past this, right? I should be past postpartum depression, but it came in waves for me. It was very intense at the beginning. It got really hard around that one year mark. Um, I don't know, it might've been the 12 month sleep regression or something that just like, just life was, you know, colliding. Everything was happening all at once. And something that she said to me that has been really helpful is, um, how would you want Violet to react in a certain situation? Mm. And then I need you to do that. Need you to do it for yourself. (laughs) But also she's watching. And she is literally, especially now at the age where it's mimicking everything, even how I get and, you know, sit down. I have like a leg tucked behind me and I'm sitting on my bed and she'll she'll sit that same way. I'm on the phone or something and the hand gestures and everything. And she's, you know, walking around as well. Like she sees everything. And we were in Hawaii last year and there was a hike that I'd done before before she was born on my own, totally fine. Completely different with a 20 pound year old toddler strapped mm-hmm. to your back. And mm-hmm. we were maybe like 20 steps from the top, from the summit. And I was just like, I can't, I'm tired and I can't. And once upon a time, I would have pushed myself because there was a goal and I had to meet it. And I turn around and look at this tiny human strapped to my back. And I'm like, I wouldn't want her to do that to herself. I would want her to listen to the cues her body is giving her that she's tired and she needs to take a break. And I would want her to know that that's okay. That doesn't make her any less valuable as a person. And so Mm -hmm. if I want her to do that, I have to do that. And it's changed the way that I've approached a lot of situations where I'm like, huh, what would I want Violet to do? I need to do that. So it's a journey too, like progress, not perfection. (laughs) I slip, I fall and I have to like pivot um, and remind myself because it's not second nature just yet. Like the default setting for me is overachieve, go, 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 go all the time. And so I'm learning and I'm practicing a different way. When do you feel most like yourself? At home with my friends with Jeff and my sweatsuits, <laughs> like just kicking at brunch with my girls, bottomless memos. Like when I'm with people, 
that I love and who love me and just me, not what I can do for them, not Mm -hmm. what I like symbolize or what they think they can get out of me or whatever, when they're, we're just in conversation and community and like Mm -hmm. connecting with each other that's home. Like, and like, what feels like home, especially as, you know, at the end of the day and I'm like sleeping, I'm cuddled up with Jeff and I'm just like, this is, and it doesn't matter where we are, if we're like physically home, home or somewhere else, when I'm with people who love me and get me, that's safe, that's home, that's community, that's connection. That's where I feel like I can be my imperfect self. Mm. Yeah. Do you feel free? Sometimes. (laughs) Um, not all the time, not as much as I'd like, because there's still, you know, um, especially thinking too, of like where I work and what that represents and mm-hmm. keeping that in mind, um, at times because, you know, streets be watching Twitter streets <laughs> and mm-hmm. everything like that. So there's some self-censorship. I feel like that goes into that, but most of the time when I am writing and working on my own projects, that I think is when I feel most creatively free. And I think that's also where I see myself going eventually, like a kind of uh, Issa Rae, Oprah situation, Ziki also, you know, like building my own (laughs) multimedia platform. You know, I have the newsletter, I have the podcast, there's books, and I just see it growing and becoming the thing. Like right now it's still kind of like on the side and it's growing and it always has been. But there's going to come a time um, when I want to lean 100% into that full creative freedom. And I think that's where it'll be. Do you think it's um, possible to be truly healthy and free under the conditions of the world we live in? Absolutely not. <laughs> like, it's <Seriously>? just, <laughs> I mean, no, capitalism, the U.S., it's like as a Black woman, um, and it's, I feel, I see, you know, Trisha Hersey with Nat Ministry, um, paving a different way and showing us what's possible. Mm -hmm. And um, it was interesting because I was listening to Russ's resistance on the way to Vegas and just thinking, even having interviewed her before and following her work, obviously listened to the book that I'm like, because it was an instant New York Times bestseller, right? I mean, there was no way that it wasn't going to be. And I don't have that following, right? I don't have that presence. And so I'm going to have to work a little bit harder and the rest is still available to me, but I don't know. Can I take a um, sabbatical in the middle of my book tour and promotion? Probably not because I have a smaller following. I'm, you know, not a well-known author yet. And so it's, um, I do have to grind. Yeah, yet. (laughs) I mean, very intentional with language. Um, and so I know that that's, what's kind of, um, what I'm going to have to do this time around. And I'm optimistic that, you know, with the next book and the ones after that, there may be more time to take longer breaks and sabbaticals and be very intentional about it. And I also know that in this season right now is going to require a little bit more, um, of that grinding, but also being mindful, you know, building and rest as well. But, um, yeah, this, the way everything is structured, it just, especially for black women, I feel like it's not, I dream of a day that it's possible. And I know until that happens, we have to do it ourselves. Like we do everything. Um, but yeah, under this day and age and this structure and the way the world is, it's not built for us. It never was. So, I mean, it was once upon a time, I have to believe, but it was like, built by us. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Us. Um, but now, phew, nope. <laughs> well, I want to 
end on a fun, positive note after such a heavy question like that. So I'm going to do a rapid fire round of questions okay. like these. We're going fast with these. Okay. I'll try. Cause I like overthink, you know, this, so I'm going to, I'm going to. Whatever gonna comes it. to mind immediate. Okay. You ready? Okay. Ready. What is your astrological big three, sun, moon, and rising? Mm, sun, Scorpio, rising Libra, and moon is Aquarius. Are you an extrovert, introvert, or ambivert? A hundred percent extrovert. <laughs> what color have you been drawn to lately? Purple's my favorite. I mean, I literally named my daughter Violet, so it's always <laughs> going to be that. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do for fun? Damn it, Anuli. Um, reading? Reading. Reading. And you recently got back into, I saw you doing some dancing on socials. Yes. Yeah. I took my first pole dance class in years the other day. And so I'm also just trying to get back in the studio and be like, cause I remember years ago when you asked me like, oh yeah, I hear all these goals and what are you doing for fun? And I was stunned into silence, which never (laughs) happens. And I've been ruminating on it ever since and just trying to incorporate more fun into my life. So yes, reading and dancing, those bring me fun. What are you reading? Um, I'm still listening to Prince Harry's Spare (laughs) and I just finished Honey and Spice, which I took a long time to read because I didn't want it to end. It was just so good. Yeah. Reese needs to pick that one up and make a movie out of two, but not before she finishes the Jasmine Guillory ones, because I've been waiting on those for a while now. So get to it, Reese. (laughs) I finished all of them. (laughs) Yeah. Like, what are you doing over there? What do you collect? Do books count? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Books and like Peloton sets. I'm wearing one now. (laughs) You're wearing one now. Yeah. What are you watching? I'm very sad that Abbott Elementary is over for the season. Um, I'm also watching Ted Lasso. What are you listening to? Beyonce. Do you have any favorite apps or favorite websites? Um, hmm. I mean, I love the Libby app because access to books and it's going to sound really cheesy, but my favorite too. And the daycare app, because um, they send pictures and videos throughout the day. And I love seeing what she's doing. It just makes my day. Who is someone that more people should be following on social media? You. Thank you. <laughs> I, w- I, don't, I don't tell people to say that, but people do. And I appreciate all of y'all. <laughs> You are, you're the GOAT, like everywhere. It's so intentional. The new website, the newly verse, like everything is just like literally goals. So they need to be following you or else they're missing out. Thank you. You know, I will say, because this is, these are supposed to be fast questions, but I will say to that point, I often feel like I make things, I put them out and it feels like it's a void. I don't know if people like it, if it's being mm-hmm. received. I just do the thing that I feel to do and it just, it's always nerve wracking, actually, to just to put the thing out. Cause I, oh yeah, I don't know if people are listening. Who knows how many people are listening or watching or who like who's even caring? But I appreciate that you do, and you're here. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time, L'Oreal. Thank you for having me. I've been a big fan. I would say since day one, but we only met in 2013. So I've been big <laughs> for 10 years. Um, <laughs> that's, and good, just, that's a good amount of time. Yeah. No, proud of you and all of everything that you do. You are such an inspiration. And I'm just so grateful for your friendship. I'm grateful for your friendship too. And I can't wait to read your book when it comes out August 15, 2023. Stop Thank you, love. Perfect. <laughs>
has opened up some amazing opportunities for me. I've had the opportunity to promote podcasting as a form of scholarship through workshops, essays, and conference presentations, just to name a few things. I even hold the registered trademark for the name Black in Real Life, B-L-K-I-R-L, as an educational media platform because I believe in the concept so much. As I shared during my conversation with L'Oreal, I almost let rejection prohibit me from starting this project in the first place. And it's now wild that it is the thing I have become most known for publicly. More than anything I've ever worked on for a job or for school, it has always been the projects that I've dreamt up for myself that have gotten me into new rooms and new worlds. Listening to my conversation with L'Oreal as I was editing reminded me of that at a time when I needed to be reminded of my own resourcefulness and power. Usually, I would close out an episode with my takeaways segment, but since this is the last full-length episode that I will be launching in a while, I just wanted to end with a heartfelt thank you. Thank you to anyone that has ever listened to an episode of this podcast. Thank you to anyone who has ever followed, liked, commented on, or shared Black and Real Life social media content. Thank you to anyone who has invited me to talk about Black and Real Life. Thank you to everyone who has ever donated to Black and Real Life. Thank you all for writing with me. There is still more to see on this journey and trust and believe I always have a plan. So this is not the end of Black and Real Life by any means, I promise you that. We are just taking a pit stop for a bit so I can complete my doctoral dissertation earn my doctorate in cultural anthropology, and drive away from academia with a diploma in hand screaming thug life. Season four will be released in 2024. That I know for sure. Until then, thanks again for everything. I am Anuli Akinabu, and you have just listened to an episode of the Black in Real Life podcast. The program today was produced, edited, and hosted by Anuli Akinabu with additional support from Anuli Akinabu. Many thanks to Garth, whose song Wild serves as the official theme song of the Black in Real Life podcast. Season three matches up Wild with the song If I Ruled the World, Imagine That by Nas featuring Miss Lauren Hill. For all things Black in Real Life, visit www blkirl.com. And remember, as always, the people you follow online are also Black in real life.